Listen up and think back. Actually, think forward. We're projecting into the future here. It is the year 2053. Supreme Court case, Smith Family versus the United Compounds of Diversified Units, formerly known as the United States. On the docket, whether or not Carl Smith, claiming parenthood, had any right to raise three offspring carrying his DNA. All three were, of course, automatic wards of the state by now. Everybody knew that. But Carl had brought a lawsuit because he was caught raising them in the long-since illegal gathering known as the nuclear family. Can't do that. It's illegal. In fact, Carl had the audacity to turn the clock back 30 years to Crutchfield versus Johnson and defiantly homeschool his kids and even take them to a religious institution where they were teaching the banned book, the Bible. The audacity of this guy. Carl was representing himself, and of course, most of you probably heard by now, only a fool. If you represent yourself, you have a fool for a lawyer. But Carl couldn't help it. See, his case was so toxic that they couldn't get any public defenders to even defend him. No, they said, a couple of them said, I'd rather quit and just walk away from my career as a lawyer than defend that guy. Might as well, because it's so toxic, nobody would want me anyway. They'd rather quit than be known as a famer, kind of like a birther. But a famer is one who actually believes in the family, and everybody knows that doesn't work. So they'd kind of gotten that moniker. Oh, you're one of those famers. No, you don't want to be labeled it. That'd be worse than going through life known as a tea-partying, 9-11 conspirating birther. So Carl would go this one alone. You got to hand it to Carl. If he's going to do things, he's going to do it big. Now, just to get you all up to speed, it had been more than 25 years since the outlawing of the nuclear family, 30 years since homeschooling was axed, and just ahead of that, Christianity was made illegal, and all Christian churches were shut down. Well, they still operated. I mean, pretty much everybody knew that. It's one of those pink elephants in the room, and everybody knew it. In fact, it, it might have been even bigger. It was certainly more true. It had now just gone underground. And everybody kind of knew there's an underground church there, and everybody knew, you know, even your own relatives, somebody might be involved in this, but it's hard to know. And if you catch somebody that's involved in it, and they're living all out, man, you have no doubt. That person believes in this Jesus Christ, and they actually believe this book, and they're living all out. There's no riding the fence for these people involved in the underground church. So there's probably millions more connected to the cross-bearing, grave-hopping King of Kings and the leader JC than ever before. They're just underground because no one would talk about them if they wanted to have a job or wanted to even buy food. They just didn't do it. <clears throat> and that's what fascinated everyone about this case. How had Carl's case gotten this far when all others couldn't even get in the court system at all? It's kind of odd. Well, it's simple. Carl's father was a former U.S. president back when we still had him. Youngest ever, in fact, only 33 years old when he served. Now in his late 50s, it's his son, Carl, who's on trial here. So he had some political clout. And Carl had found a loophole in the system that allowed old wounds to be reopened in a word, Money. Money. Keep that in mind, because Carl's going to try to win this case based on the lack of money in the system. And even though Carl and his wife, Nancy, didn't have any blood relationships on their side at all, in fact, all first through third line relations, formerly known as cousins and siblings, had gladly lived as units of the state for two generations. Truth be known, they were thoroughly embarrassed by their plasma comparatives and his actions and wanted to be absolved of all connections with them. Some of you go, what are these terms? Well, they're the new terms. Old terms are outlawed. Oops, I almost forgot. <clears throat> Why did this crazy case even make it to the Supreme Court? Well, I said money, but it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more complicated. 
Carl's bottom line, and he was hoping that it would soon be everybody's bottom line, no pun intended here, was that the new world order here was intrinsically flawed. In fact, he wanted everybody to see it's bankrupt. And he hoped to bring this case before the Supreme Court so that everybody could see that the emperor had no clothes. I mean, he's like the five-year-old pointing out, he's naked. And everybody else is sort of fogged over and just didn't realize that anymore. He meant to prove it. Ultimately, he wanted everybody else to see that they could not contribute to their ultimate potential in this system. It's impossible. The finances, the financial mess was obvious to everybody. Since the new laws had gone into effect, the national debt had quadrupled, America defaulted, the Chinese called in all of our loans, and the once loan superpower had no choice but to join the newly formed world order and submit to all international laws of communalism. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? But there's more. <clears throat> now, formerly wealthy nations were in dire straits. The poverty level of the former United States was at 90%. <clears throat> the educational system of the new United Nations here state put former United States kids dead last in every subject. <clears throat> the crime rate of, not just the crime rate, but the crime rate of teens against adults, that was sort of the new currency of crime. Almost every crime committed now was teenagers against adults. Had just skyrocketed. And there, there just seemed to be no answer in sight. No one would even care about working or want to take a job because all the money, just everything they made went to the NWO, New World Order. So simply no motivation. In fact, kids were free to have sex at any age, do drugs, move from commune to commune at will. So perhaps predictably, child abuse was something that nearly everyone had experienced at one time or another, some multiple times. So Carl's main argument was simple. It's going to be that it is a failed experiment and we needed to go back to what worked before, before it was too late. Now, I got a question for you guys. Does all that sound kind of holly weird? I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? How could that ever happen? I remember hearing an old favorite preacher of mine, his name is Jack Wurtz, and he's a guy that started Word of Life. And I remember when I was a teenager, and he was preaching the evangelical message, and I actually discouraged people from coming forward. I've shared this with some of you before, but he said, before you come forward, before you give your life and commit your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to think about what the world could be like. And he described this world of, of different laws and things being illegal and, and Christians being shunned and all this. And he said, now, would you still come? And they'd stop you again. Then he said, what if all your friends deserted you and they didn't believe anymore? Would you still come? And when it got down to basically, if it was just you and Jesus, would you do that? He allowed people to come forward. But I do remember thinking when he gave that invitation, that day will never come in my lifetime. I just thought, this, things that he described are so far off. Gang, I'm living in that world right now. In fact, there are things he didn't even describe, even he didn't think to describe, that are happening right now in America. And this weird story is not completely made up. Some of it's true-ish. So I just built on it. And even though some of it's already happened, even though much of this is happening in smaller scales around, around us, some of us are still oblivious to it. We're asleep. Let me give you an example of a smaller scale where this thing is happening. How about the church? It used to be that families found a church, and they stayed with it for life. They didn't move around so much. They all went together. Church hopping wasn't invented. It wasn't an Olympic sport like it is now, church hopping and shopping. Uh, not, you didn't have this Johnny going to such and such church for the music, Sarah going to first church of the under-20s for the fun in the youth group, while mom and dad went to Bible Baptist for the teaching. 
While together, churches made a real difference because people didn't just believe. Now, I want you to remember this. This is like our main thing. People back then didn't just believe. They belonged. It takes more than just believing. A gathering of people who believe. It takes a gathering of people who belong. What's it, Pastor? What do you mean, it? Well, Scripture talks about the church being an unstoppable force. It talks about if the gates of hell set up the most mighty barrier that they could have against the church. If a church is healthy and functioning right, it'll blow right through that. The gates of hell cannot stop a healthy church. It's the most powerful transforming thing in history. Now, without these conditions, church soon descends into nothing, nothing more than a weekly social gathering to hear some jamming music and get a feel-good Oprah-esque message. Designed to raise our already overly elevated self-esteem to new, previously unimaginable heights. That's kind of what's, what, what it descends into. But instead of the healthy, prosperous, and trouble-free life that this new, shallow, and non-committal form of Christianity promised, people are left empty and feeling cheated. Because it's, it's not what's actually described about the church in this book. Why? Why do they feel cheated? Why do they feel empty? Because there's power in unity There's power in unity of vision. There's power in unity of purpose. There's power in unity. There's strength in family. In fact, that's Jesus' favorite description of the church, that it is a family. There's joy among brothers and sisters in Christ. A common commission, a common hope, a common future, and a common salvation. You could throw in their common gifts, common baptism. When all's said and done, the world can't offer any of these things, only smoke and mirrors. They can allude to it. They can make promises. They're great at the carrot on the end of the stick and moving us along. But once you grab a hold of it, you find out it's just a carrot. It's just empty. It wasn't worth chasing after. So ultimately, here's the deal, gang. Carl knew this. So his mission was to expose that fact that the emperor had no clothes, and he began his argument with the one thing the world couldn't resist, their favorite god, money. You say, I, you want more money? Then get rid of the system. It's bankrupt. It's not working. You can actually make more money the old way. So that perked him up a little bit. That was their God. So why had Carl's case made it all this way when others had? Because Carl wasn't filing in regards to reestablishing conservative ties that society had long forbidden. That was ultimately what he wanted, but he didn't need to go that far. One step at a time. No, he actually had the audacity to file suit on the basis that it infringed on his rights to make a living and to be productive citizen of the social comparative known as the United Commune of Diversified Units. That's kind of catchy. Imagine a science fiction setting where the American family is barely recognizable anymore. Instead of it takes a family, maybe we start thinking it takes a village. I think you'll find that it's really not that hard to imagine anymore. And gang, as far as the local church goes, we're already there. So today, I am Carl, but don't call me that. And I am bringing the case before the Impact family that there is more power, more joy, greater peace and satisfaction, and a far greater hope in becoming a member of the local church than any counterfeit thing or all the counterfeit things the world has put together offered to you if you get involved with a biblically functioning, unified, envisioned, glorifying to God local church, like Impact. How powerful? I want you to get this verse. Write this reference down, Matthew 16, 18. 
I love the way it's put in the message. I'm going to tell you, Peter, who you really are. See, Peter had just said, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the only one that got it right. And Jesus looked at him and said, you didn't even come up with that on your own. This is how special that is. My father just whispered that in your ear. He just told you. But Peter, I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Now, I look around and I look at churches today, and we got a lot of them in Charlotte, a thousand plus, about 1,100 in Charlotte and the surrounding areas. And I don't think, I see many churches that I'd even put safely up against the gates of hell. Some of them seem like they'd blow right over. They have so little power. And yet, that's what the church is supposed to be. That makes healthy, functioning church the most powerful force on earth. Notice I said a healthy, biblically functioning church. Because an unhealthy, unbiblical one is nothing more than a country club or or a social gathering. And one of the most important factors for a church to be powerful and biblical is for everyone to not just believe, again, I'm going to say it, but to belong. Not just believe, but to belong. And not to just say, we all believe in Jesus, and he died for our sins, and rose from the grave, and we kind of gather where we like the music, and we kind of gather where we like the preacher, we kind of gather where we like something, or it's convenient, whatever, and we all believe the same thing. That's not enough. That can quickly descend into a social gathering. That's not what the church is called to be. Now, to understand what the church is called to be, here's our actual text for today. 19 minutes to get to the text. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 12. Turn there, 1 Corinthians 12. It's a fascinating text. And it speaks for itself. In my defense, five minutes of those were announcements. All right, so here we go. Verse 12, we're going to start with, even though the whole chapter is about this this organism, not organization, but this organism called the church. And here it's going to be compared to the human body. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. I mean, you don't have to be rocket science to get this, right? My fingers aren't, they don't stand alone, and my hand doesn't stand alone, and my feet, and what, it's all different parts that make up one body, my body, you all have the same thing. He's just using something a five-year-old can understand. So it is within the body of Christ. Let's compare this to the local church, Paul says. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are even slaves. Some of us are completely free, but we all have been baptized into one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, That does not make it any less a part of the body. It's just talking. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Obviously, no. And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? So I'm not the only one that makes up freaky stories. Look at this one from Paul. Can you just imagine an eyeball cruising around? How would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, then how would you smell anything? Now get this. But that's silly. Instead, our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it when he knit us together. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Well, I don't see how that relates to the church. Easy, people. What if this church was just about the minister? What if it was just about the preaching? Then it would be a social club, right? You'd just come and hear the preaching, and you wouldn't do a thing, and you'd just go home. What if it was just about the music? Well, then you'd just come, maybe buy some CDs eventually, jam out, and get not involved, and go home. What if it was just about the children's? Well, then you'd all participate, and we wouldn't even come to church. 
But it's more than that. Those are parts of the whole body. It's many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Church is a body. The church is a family, and you can't dictate it away, and you can't do away with it any more than you could in the crazy scenario I just painted of Carl Smith taking his case to the Supreme Court. It should never get that way simply by logic. When you do away with the family, all of society breaks down. The best functioning body then, gang, is obviously a healthy body. The best functioning family is a loving, harmonious, healthy church family. In order for impact to be that kind of family, we all have to do this together. I mean, that makes sense, right? Can you imagine, how many of you have more than two kids? Raise your hand. Three. Who's got more than four? Who's got five? We're still going. You guys aren't winning. Who's got six kids? Anybody have six? All right, I won't go any further because you guys are kind of sheepish and holding your hands now. All right, so what if four of your kids did all the chores, the two older ones went, you know what? I'm 12 now, so I'm done. I'm going to be the boss in this family. I'm going to boss around the little ones. They're going to take out the trash. In fact, I'm not going to live here. I'm moving into the garage. No, I'm moving down the street. And I'll show up when you feed me, and I'll show up if you give me money, and I'll show up for the fun times when we go to Carowinds, but I'm not doing anything else. Would that seem odd to you? That's not a functioning family, right? That's not a healthy family. That's a family that's broken apart. And you can see the more that society thinks that's normal for families to get broken apart, the more we apply that to the church and go, well, then that must be normal in the church too. When we start thinking things that are abnormal or normal, things break down right in front of us and we don't even realize it. It's like the frog in the kettle experiment. And if some of you don't know that one, look it up. We're not going to be cruel to frogs and do that one. So the best functioning body as a whole is a healthy body. No one's more important. No one's more necessary. All of us equal and all of us together to accomplish this great vision that the Lord's given us. Let me illustrate. At our home last weekend, we had the staff and their spouses and everybody over. Now, suppose somebody dropped a full plate, a tray of desserts on the carpet in the family room. Some of you go, I'm with you. They'd be fired, right? No, that's not what's happening. Here's what's happening. Let's say they dropped it. In relation to spiritual gifts, this is how people, if you, if you look at chapter 12, it's, it's beautiful because it says all these parts are necessary and there's spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Some people have the gifts of discernment. Some have the gifts of teaching and preaching and so, hospitality. It's all kinds of different gifts. Let me show you in real world how they'd play out. How people with different gifts would respond. The gift of prophecy would say, that's what happens when you're not careful if the dessert was dropped. The gift of service. Oh, let me help you clean it up. The gift of teaching. The reason that fell is because it was too heavy on one side. The gift of exhortation. Next time, maybe, you should let somebody else carry it. It's kind of an obnoxious gift, isn't it? Exhortation. The gift of giving. Here, you can have my dessert. The gift of mercy. Don't feel too bad. It could have happened to anyone. I do that all the time. I'm a klutz. The gift of administration. Seth, would you get the mop? Del Rey, please help pick this up. Elliot, could you get him another dessert? That's the gift of administration. Do you see these things kind of working out in real world scenario? Those things are in the church. Healthy, but they're spiritual gifts to help the church function better. We've all been gifted differently, and so we act differently, and we serve differently, but we're all unified in a common vision. I'm going to talk about that vision 
not a long time, but in about an hour and a 15-minute class today called our one-on-one connection class, impact connection class. And we all need to be unified in that vision, but as a family, we all need to be together on it, and that's what makes for a powerful, unstoppable force of a church. This church has every gift that is needed in order to not only function, but to thrive. I mean, you get about 20 people together to start a church, you probably have all the gifts you need. So we have them in spades. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. As you wait for Jesus to return and you form a church, you don't lack any of the spiritual gifts unless some believers are saying, well, I hop from this church to that and I don't get involved and I don't serve. Then you could very well have a church that's crippled. You could have a church that's limping by because some people simply won't be biblically functioning members of it. So this verse is written to the entire church at Corinth. Even with all its problems, it was the most dysfunctional church in the whole Bible. This community of faith did not lack any spiritual gifts. That wasn't the problem. Had a lot of problems, but Paul says, you got all the gifts. That's not it. Likewise, impact has just the right amount of spiritual gifts to thrive. I'd love to loose the clergy laity, or lose the, the clergy laity distinction that is way too common in churches today. Because the Bible says this. I mean, we have these weird, freakish things in America. In America, the church kind of follows a business model. So churches sort of set up pastors to be CEOs and then boards of directors. And you got all these things. You're looking at the Bible going, how come I can't find it in there? And then they, you hire pastors of different areas of ministry, and they do all the ministry. And then we, shame on us, have sort of fostered in America... This, this church that's, honestly, not to get crude or anything, but it's, it's a bastardized church. It's not really real. Because people are sitting there and taking in knowledge about Jesus, but not serving in order to mature. So they can sometimes grow huge, thousands of immature baby little Christians and be unhealthy and dysfunctioning. I'd love to, to lose that distinction because we're all ministers and priests. According to 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this one wonderful light. See, I'm officially your pastor at Impact, but the priesthood is for all believers. Every member is a minister according to the word of God. Supposed to be. Want to know what my job is? Some of you are like, nope, don't care. Here it is anyway. Here's my job description, Ephesians 4.12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. That's my primary job. I love it when people come to me, not really, and tell me that they have a vision for me that's other than God's. Here's what you should be doing. Really? Show me that in the Bible. Can't, but God gave me a word. Really? Well, here's a word from the word. And here's what I'm actually supposed to be doing. So if you don't mind, I'm going to do what God called me to do. With a full ministry schedule, there's no way that, honestly, I can serve at every single function. As impact starts to grow, now, one thing that alarms me a little, and I'd love to see change, and this is why we're having lunch and really trying to encourage everybody to go today, is I looked at how many people are still coming about once a month to impact, and I was blown away. We've got our database up and running, and I was just blown away. I mean, we're getting attendance of men, women, and children in about the 350s, You know, sometimes more, we've had it as high as 500. But there's almost 800 men, women, and children that are still calling this place home. Where are they? Now, granted, on a day like today, you can see most of them at 11 o'clock, but most of them are doing what I just described. Some of them still go to maybe two or three churches. 
Some of them come and get entertained a little bit and filled up, and about a month later, they feel drained, and they'll come again. But they're not serving. They're believing, but they're not belonging. We have to belong. If we're going to be an unstoppable force, which Charlotte desperately needs, it's got to be more than just everybody gathering who believes the same thing. It's impossible for me to do everything. There were three people in the hospital from our church just this week. How many of you didn't know that? Thank, thank God we have small groups and a lot of them got ministered to. Everybody that was sick this week is in a life group. Here's an exciting truth. I give you permission to minister in this church. I thought that was exciting. Some of you are going, thanks for that. I give you permission to minister in this church. You were saved to serve. You were saved to serve. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he had one lesson left. He had their full attention. The next morning, he was going to be crucified, and he knew it. And he was basically saying this. They actually had an argument in, on that night, in the, in the last Passover, First Communion, uh, night when Judas betrayed him, and they're all there. They had an argument. Who do you think's the greatest among us? They couldn't have been more off page than that. And Jesus said, forget all this. And he took a cloth and got a water basin, and he washed their feet. The lowest possible thing you could have done. And he said, now that I have you all together, and I picked you, you're going to love this. I picked you so you could go out in the world and serve. And they went, yeah, that's cool. But about the greatest thing, who's going to rule and who's... So we have it completely. There's power in serving together. And Jesus wanted them to know that, and he didn't want it to take forever for them to get that. About 25 years ago, when Saddleback Church, raise your hand if you've heard of Saddleback. Rick Warren, not all of you have, wrote a little book called The Purpose Driven Life, sold 30 million copies. Real simple book about how to really get involved in what we're really called to do. But when Saddleback Church in Southern California had grown to approximately 500 people, and that took them about five years, he was doing everything, just like the... American Evangelical Church does. And he said, folks, I'm out of energy. In fact, the truth is, he passed out. <laughs> he was preaching, and he keeled over and just passed out. It just hit the wall, and he left. He left the church. Really? Did he come back for the second service? No, he left for three months. He went to Arizona. He said, I'm done. I can't do this. The guy almost had a nervous breakdown. He's doing all the ministry. He goes, this isn't the church. I can't find this in the Bible anywhere. And they spent the next three months because they knew this guy was anointed and, and, and the God had picked him to do this. And they said, please come back. And he said, I'm going to spend some time in prayer and we're going to get it right this time because this, this isn't right. But he came back and he said to them, folks, I'm out of energy. And the church is getting so big that I can't, I can't do much more as I read the Bible, it doesn't say I'm supposed to do it all anyway. I'll make a deal with you. If you'll do the ministry God's gifted you to do, then I will do my part, which is to make sure that you are well-fed and well-equipped to do that ministry. So I'll be doing my ministry as well. Warren said they then shook hands and made a pact together. And it was after that that the church began to explode. And became an unstoppable force. That's from Rick Warren's sermon, Unwrapping Your Spiritual Gifts. So I was just wondering. I just told you that we're sort of at that shaking point where we're starting to either, we will either make some changes here and explode. Where do you get that from? You got any experience in that? Yes, I do, actually. 
I've pastored larger churches. I've seen where they get, where things begin to shake, and you either make wise decisions or you just keep going down the path and then they go down. So I'd like to make that same deal. I will serve faithfully. I'll give you more than you could ever imagine in my area of giftedness and responsibility if you will serve in yours. Can we shake on it? Wait. Some of you are like, I'm Pastor Rob. You want all of us to wait in line in the back like we do sometimes and actually shake? Is that what you want? Not sure I really understand all this one body stuff and together, but diversified and spiritual gifts and membership stuff anyway. Can I say something gently? It's not rocket science. Take a look. Here at Triple C, carving clearer Christianity, we know that the walk of faith can be filled with a bucket full of challenges. But hey, it's not like it's rocket science. Well, hello, Dr. Marvin Orville Blavine with Triple C Laboratories, Kakaka, here again, ready, willing, and able to help you crack the code of consistent Christianity. You see, I told you it could be done. <laughs> One of the most challenging steps for many in the Christian faith is getting involved. Once regular attendees inside a church community, many avoid volunteerism like they would dodge a bullet. Hey! Ballistics training is in Laboratory 9. Sorry, 7. Kids. Some believe the church is a recruitment center, making converts so that they can be rapidly assigned to specific tasks. Others long to get involved, but are frightened of rejection because they believe they have no skills. Yet the third camp are skeptical that any attempt they make will matter whatsoever. <laughs> tisk tisk, what to do with these people, all wrong. The truth is that the church is more like a living, breathing organism that moves most effectively when all elements within are exercising their strengths. The team that runs the church cannot reach the whole wide world alone because, again, very wide. Their job is to help you fit into the world so that you can get out of it and do some of that reaching out yourself. And though ushering and children's ministry and visitation and VBS and whatnot may not feel like changing the world, it's, well, allow me to put it to you this way. Most of our life is spent serving ourselves. It's human nature. When we step out of that world and we begin to willingly serve others, no matter how seemingly small the serving, we grow God's love inside of us. And as we grow God's sort of love, He turns each of us into the sort of person who both will reach outside the walls of the church and suddenly can. Mm. Oh, that wasn't an object lesson. I just really wanted some cereal. There's nothing like actively loving to help you discover your place in God's plan. It's why I choose to get involved, and now you can too. I'm Dr. Marvin Orville Blivian, and getting involved is not rocket science.
promise you it's not rocket science. I have a better idea. Since it takes a little bit of explaining, not a lot really, just a little bit to sort of unpack this and, and let you know of our vision and all, I'd rather invite you, instead of shaking on our little agreement there, unless you totally disagree, then you're free to leave. But instead of that, I'd like to invite you to a free lunch, meaning really free. You've heard the, the expression, there's no free lunch. Wrong, there is. There's one. It's this one. This one's free. And I'm going to cast the vision and tell you how you can get involved and, and tell you how we can switch from kind of being a gathering of believers only to a gathering of belongers. And we'll watch this church change into an unstoppable force. Gang, it's not a theory. It's a guarantee. If hearts are right and we are unified and healthy, God says, I will move my spirit so powerfully in that place, it'll start being a movement. That's in the Bible. It's a guarantee. Otherwise, God lied about it, and God can't lie. At lunch today, I'll lay it all out. My prediction is many of you will just find a place in your heart where you'll find, that's thrilling. I want to be a part of it. Some of you, because it happened, I've been doing this for 15 plus years, but some people hear this and they go, oh, I thought it was going a different direction. This is not really for me. If that happens in just an hour today, then find a church, gang, that is for you. Find a place where you don't just kind of hang out. Find a place where you can dive in and give it all you've got because that's honestly what it's about. You're not going to experience a powerful, life-changing force of church by just moving around and hanging out. Now let's prepare our hearts to give back to God. And then I will meet you out there, and we're going to spend about 30 minutes at the ministry fair. If you're not plugged into a, uh, to a ministry, you already know you want to be a part, but you can't make the class today. At least go to the ministry fair. Even as a non-member, you can get involved in a ministry. Uh, let's pray about our tithes and offerings. Let's pray about giving back to God, and let's worship Him with our tithes and offerings by dethroning our stuff. I'll just say this one thing about giving back. I say a lot of things sometimes, but... This is as much a part of worship as anything else we do, as the singing, as the preaching. And, it's, and for some of us, it might even be more important because stuff crawls back on the throne of our hearts so easily unless every single week we dethrone it, dethrone it, and make sure Jesus is, is at the center. So let me pray for these tithes and offerings that God will use them to further his kingdom at impact. Father, thank you so much for 1 Corinthians 12. Lord, thank you so much for what it means and how easy it is to get to a healthy, vibrant church. Lord, you know my heart, but I don't know if everybody here has heard me say this. We don't need another church. And that's not a put down on any church in Charlotte, but with 1,100 churches, we don't need another church. But we do need a movement. So God, help us to, to just have a passionate desire for everybody, every man, woman, and child to do what they can, to bring their gift to the table and to get involved, Lord. I pray that we'll have so many volunteers we'll hardly know what to do with them. Please accept our tithes and offerings as we give back to you from our heart and use this to further your kingdom and impact church. In Jesus' name, amen.